Hi, I'm Tom Rigby, and this is Market to Melrose. This is the fifth episode of a podcast by the North and West Melbourne News, an award-winning local paper by the North and West Melbourne Neighbourhood Centre on Errol Street in North Melbourne. Check out the article about the podcast in the latest edition of the North and West Melbourne News, which you can find in your letterbox if you live in the area, or anytime you're strolling down Errol Street, you can find a copy for free in the box outside the North and West Melbourne Neighbourhood Centre. Apologies for being a bit late with this episode. It's pretty much a one-man show and things can get a little bit busy uh, with a one-year-old and so forth. Been loving all the feedback I've been getting over the last few weeks. People have been reaching out by email and over social media. Email address is markettomelrose at gmail.com. Great to hear people are enjoying the show. Had some great story ideas come in, which I'll be looking to incorporate into show schedule next year. This week I got an interview with Nancy Lane. She's a local artist, lives in North Melbourne, works in West Melbourne on the banks of the Maribyrnong at River Studios. Nancy's a key contributor to North and West Melbourne News and you'll see her photographic work and other work that she's done in pretty much every edition of the paper over the last few years. She's a lifelong art enthusiast, uh, but only threw herself full-time into an art practice when she retired as an academic. She's got a unique practice. Nancy uh, collects detritus, trash, garbage, that she finds around the place, and she meticulously sorts it and cleans it and turns it into beautiful and funny works of art and jewellery that all have a message about what we're doing with our our environment, our consumerist culture and all of the stuff that finds its way onto the streets and nature strips and gutters that probably shouldn't be there. We started our chat in the common area of the River Studio and if you listen carefully you'll hear some of the hustle and bustle of artists in the background, as well as the industrial symphony of Dynan Road and the Borrell Concrete Factory next door. It's an interesting soundscape. So here's Nancy Lane. My name is Nancy Lane. My middle initial is D, so when I create artworks, I tend to go by Nancy D, spelt D-E-E, sculptures, even though that's not my real middle name. And... Tell us about your connection with North and West Melbourne. Yes, well, we moved into North Melbourne in about 2005 because I was offered a job then at the University of Melbourne. Nothing to do with art, actually. I was managing a mathematics education centre. But my husband and I loved North Melbourne, so uh, he managed to find a place that we loved. It's just around the corner from Errol Street. We, we didn't move into that house until 2010, but I lived on Arden Street prior to that, renting places. And I detect uh, the hint of an accent, so you've, you've come from over the seas? Uh, yes, I was born in the U.S., but I've lived longer in 
Australia than I did in the U.S. So which part of the states are you from originally? Well, I was born in Minnesota, but grew up in the state of Washington on the northwest, but moved up and down the west coast to university and then was living in the San Francisco area before I came first to Adelaide, then to Perth, then to Canberra, and then we finally found our way to Melbourne. So when you moved here, you were working at the University of Melbourne. Uh, In Melbourne, but when I moved to Australia, I was working at the University of Adelaide. As a librarian? No, uh, teaching librarianship. Teaching librarianship. Okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. And you're still involved in librarianism? When I do volunteer work overseas, I often get involved in helping people improve their libraries. But the country I most often work in is Laos, and the libraries there are very, very basic and very little access to computer networks. So it's quite a different experience than what librarianship is in Australia or America. We were just looking in your studio and everything was very organised. Do you think that uh, your artistic practice has kind of stemmed out of your career? Uh, Yes and no. When I was at university, I always took art classes as an elective. But my mother always said to me, choose a career where you make money as opposed to where you're living in poverty. Good advice. (laughs) Yes. And so although I've done lots of short courses and dabbled, I'd call it, in art all my life, it wasn't until I formally retired from the University of Melbourne that I took up art as a second career. So it's getting on to seven or eight years now. And even though when I was growing up, I I tried my hand at most things at watercolor, oil painting, ceramics, jewelry making, it wasn't until I started picking up junk on the street that I found my forte. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us how that started. Well, it started just because when I was walking to the gym, I found these long thin pieces of wire and I I had no idea what they were and I was thinking oh they come from the telephone lines or the street lights or what and I had no idea so I kept picking them up and then I started finding nails and screws and I thought oh I better pick those up too because people would get flat tires and then I was getting these boxes of metal stuff and I thought I better do something with it so I went down to the local hardware shop Bowens and said I want something that glues anything to anything and they sold me something that glued everything to everything (laughs) so it's called T-Rex so it's been a progression from making fairly basic abstract little things to getting more sophisticated over time and sometimes I take on challenges that I am not sure that I should have for example Uh, I kept finding all these drawers during COVID and one of the things I did was just pile them up to see what they look like and it looked like a termite mound the sort you see up in Darwin uh, in Kakadu on the way to Kakadu, 
So I applied to get into um, a, an outdoor sculpture exhibition in Sydney. And when they accepted me, I thought, oh, fantastic. And then the reality hit that I had to make it last six months. I had to keep it secure so that kids, if they climbed on it, wouldn't fall through it or injure themselves. And so what seemed very simple when I just piled them up became quite a complex task that took a lot more screws and boards and, um, in fact, an upside-down table that I adhered things to. And luckily, just around the corner from Errol Street, around the corner from the auction rooms, there is a empty lot that has that had, because I've got them now, some big blocks of cement, and they were not doing any good to anybody. And so they are now keeping that termites bound secure in Sydney. <laughs> so it sounds like walking around, uh, looking at the ground is a big part of your practice. Yes. And what is interesting, though, is that the more people who find out I pick stuff up off the ground, the more people who also start doing it. And at one stage, I had found the words, or the letters C-O-L-O-U, and I needed an R, but I couldn't ever find an R on the ground. And I put out the word to the North Melbourne Rec Centre, the gym, and um, someone brought me an R that they'd found in Tasmania. <laughs> so, in fact, when they found it, they, they painted it red, and so I've called that artwork with the red R, Red Letter Day. But what I do when I collect things is wash them here at the studio, let them dry, and then I have the studio that's pretty well sorted uh, by different types of materials. Being an artist is more than just making art. I have to keep a uh, quite comprehensive inventory of where I have different types of work. And when they sell, then I have to replace them. So a lot of your time you're also spending doing your inventory and trying to restock the places that sell your things and also applying for exhibitions. Uh, you don't obviously get into every exhibition that you apply to be in. So if you do want to exhibit, which I figured that since I started late in life as an artist, I would like to be in as many as possible, I would probably apply for maybe one exhibition a week, of which, as I said, some I get into and some I don't. You called it a second career, and I can hear that there's a lot involved. Did you completely teach yourself, or have you had some people that you've, you've learned uh, some of the tricks of the trade from? Well, in terms of design principles and so on, I think I've picked those up from a lot of the short courses I've done in other types of art. In terms of actual gluing, that's been a process of trial and error. So I work with toothpicks, with needles, with Stanley knives, with a lot of things to actually apply the glue and to remove 
the glue. And that's been pretty much all trial and error. Are you still using the T-Rex glue that you got oh, from yep. Bowens? Yep, yep. I'm a great believer in T-Rex. <laughs> so so uh, T-Rex is a builder's adhesive. And um, it, um, for me, it does the trick. At this point in the interview, Nancy showed me around her studio space. All the artists at the River Studios have their own personal space to work in. And Nancy's is incredibly well organised and categorised. There is a lot of stuff in there that she's found over the years but it's organized like a library a library of trash of every kind a lot of it you couldn't probably tell what it originally was and a lot of it uh, nancy doesn't know what it actually originally was but manages to incorporate it into pieces of jewelry sculptures and she starts out here by showing me a brooch that she's been working on so that's what she's describing here at the start recently it's typical of my cityscapes and um, it, it this one happens to be mounted on slate but some of them are mounted on tile some of them are mounted on wood I usually have a range of what I call buildings this one is cylindrical uh, types of I can't even tell you what some of them are they're things that I found on the ground mm. I usually put in either a sun or a moon or a, something in the sky, and I usually put in at the base either a mountain or a river or a street, so that they're fairly simple, but people get a real kick out of them. Amazingly, a lot of men are very interested in them because they say, oh, that's a such and such, and that's a such and such, and I'm thinking, oh, well, that's interesting. I didn't know that. <laughs> so this one I haven't named yet. This, uh, this wire here, is that the wire you were talking about before that sort of started everything off? No, let me show you the wire that started everything off. Come on in here, but don't step on things. These, these. Oh, that's are... from Street Sweepers. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. So, but I didn't know that <laughs> when I first started. And so I kept picking them. I just could not figure out what they were from. Mm. And now I know. Yeah. Now I know. And, well, as you can see, I've got... A big box of them. So that's if when you look at the irony of street sweepers shedding. Mm. Um, so they're probably spreading as much as they clean. They need to go around with a big magnet, don't they? <laughs> yeah. Pick up all the ones they shed. <laughs> Everything here is very clean, and you know, catch, catching the light and reflecting the light in in ways that are quite quite pretty, quite mm. beautiful. Mm. You've got this uh, little container, a strawberry punnet full of golden items, springs and uh, headphone yeah. jacks. There's a cone from a, somebody's uh, bong, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> who, know, who knows what some of this stuff is. Yeah. Ah, now do you know what these are? I have no idea, but I always find them at restaurants. So there's something to do, I huh. think. They look like slugs, but... I don't know if they come out of something they put on the tables or what, but but I've got tons hmm. of those as well. Good question. I don't know yeah. what those are, but yeah. you often find them around restaurants. Yes, hmm. yes, uh, especially along Errol Street. I find lots of right. them. Maybe they come off the bottom of 
chairs and tables, tables or something? Yeah, I don't know. Mm. I don't know, but there's several different sizes of them. Oh, look at these beautiful pieces of glass. A lot of this sea glass, again, it was a, a woman who I met her through Instagram. She was also an American. She's interested in making jewelry out of junk. Mm. And she was doing a clean out and she said, look, I'm going to take all this sea glass back to where I found it unless you want it. And I said, yes, of course, I'll take it. What a stupid question. <laughs> and so I've got all this sea glass that I've used. The most recent one I used a lot in was called Glass Half Full. When I was up in Darwin recently, I was walking along the street and found a glass mug that was split in half so that if you turn both sides over, it would look like you had two of them. Mm. So it was, and so I framed them and put one right side up, one upside down, and the one right side up I filled with blue sea glass mm. to show that it was a glass half full, and the one upside down was a glass half empty, which mm. had nothing in it. So the glass half full is in the exhibition up in Canberra at the moment, the Zero Waste Exhibition. Yeah, so there's clearly an environmental message about showing us what we would like to kind of ignore, all of the things that we waste. Yes, I think that's probably the... The point that I'm trying to make is that we don't have to have this much waste. And I usually try to include in my exhibitions just a line about, think about where this waste came from and see if you, in your own way, can contribute to what I say is the, the five R's for the planet, which is... Refuse is the first one. Okay. Uh, reduce, reuse, repurpose, and only then recycle. Because it's reached the point that recycling is causing its own problems. Mm. And so if you use less, if you buy things secondhand, if you... Um, live more simply, then the planet has a better chance of recovering. So I don't like to hammer the ideas, but I like to subtly suggest them. And as I said, if you can contribute to zero waste, it's better for everybody to do something than just give up and say, oh, it's all too hard. There's, there's clearly a important message there. But there's something very joyful about what you're doing as well. And uh, there's a focus on finding the beauty in the things that you find. We're surrounded by political messages all the time. <laughs> yes. And environmentalism is a sort of a political yeah. theme. I think it helps to receive a political message when there's also some beauty involved. involved yeah. And what I also like to do is run workshops where people who do want to start using junk for making artworks or for making jewelry can learn what I've learned through trial and error because I think the more people who can start uh, taking 
up the process of, of removing things that already exist in our society and giving them a, a new purpose, um, the better off we are than all the fast fashion, all the plastic that is just proliferating. So that, I think, is a good segue uh, talking about your workshops. If you could um, give us a few plugs for things that are coming up that you'd like us to know about. If you're traveling to Sydney for any purpose, you can head out to Eden Gardens in Macquarie Park and my termite mound will be there along with some amazing sculptures by about 30 other artists until the end of April. The other thing that I have coming up is Space to Be, a gallery in St Kilda that supports uh, migrants and asylum seekers. And I will have a couple works in that, but again, there will be works for sale of very affordable prices for um, fundraising for for the purpose of space to be. When was that, sorry? That will be starting the end of November going through January. Okay, great. Yes, um, my Instagram is Nancy D. Sculptures. My Instagram is also Nancy D. Brooches. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's spelled N-A-N-C-Y-D-E-E both times. I also have a website, which is nancydsculptures.com.au. Mm-hmm. Great. Uh, we'll definitely direct people to that website. And um, it's uh, just gone midday on a Saturday. We might wrap it up now. Have you got uh, a lot of art making on for the rest of the day? Probably not because I'm also an editor and I've got a, a couple of big editing jobs to do. Oh, really? <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. So, and I've also got my Lao lesson this afternoon. So. Uh, the language. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Keeping busy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I have to practice the piano because my lesson's on Monday. <laughs> my goodness. Well, we definitely need to let you get back to all of that. Thanks a lot for your time, Nancy. Uh, thank you. No, it's been good fun uh, showing you around. And I might also say that if people are interested in visiting the studio to get in touch with me through my website because it is a very interesting place mm. to to work with a lot of outstanding artists here and um, I would be very pleased to to show people around that's a lovely invitation we'll uh, we'll extend that to the audience thanks a lot Nancy now it's time for the community notice board North and West Melbourne Neighbourhood Centre, together with the West Melbourne Baptist Church, having an end-of-year celebration next Thursday, 14th of December, from 4pm to 7pm. There'll be a free sausage sizzle, free ice cream, arts and crafts, the Sing Now Community Choir, games and plenty more. If you'd like to take part in the Arts and Crafts Bazaar, give them a call on 9328-1126. That's 9328-1126 to take part in the Arts and Crafts Bazaar at the end of year celebration next Thursday, 14th of December from 4pm to 7pm. Thursday nights on Errol Street, discover the magic of the North and West Melbourne community. The 
with happy hour specials, late night shopping and unique experiences from local businesses. They're calling it live at Errol Street. From free tastings of Christmas gins, at here's looking at UKID Distillery, to summer cocktail specials at the Courthouse and Joe Taylor. With discounted tickets to the Comics Lounge, a book fair at Willows and Wine, and free skincare consultations at ASOP. You'll also find talented buskers in local stores on Errol Street and intimate gigs in some unexpected venues. I caught up with one of those street performers, Anya Reynolds, playing as Synthotronica, and I'll edit in some of her music to play out this episode. That's all we've got time for this episode. Thanks for listening. I've got one more episode before the end of the year, a refreshing plunge into the history of the North Melbourne pool. Until then, here's the music from Anya Reynolds, Synthotronica playing last Thursday night on Errol Street as part of Live at Errol Street. Thank you.